Hi, I'm Tara G, your host of Frankly Speaking with Tara G. Welcome again to our virtual, global gathering of phenomenal women and those of you who love them. Fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know, we dig deep and we come up strong. We bravely walk into places where tradition has taught us there's some things you just don't talk about but not at this table. And no matter how hard judgment knocks, it can't come in. Beloved, here we live beyond the wreckage. Every week we experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other. We share aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week we start right where we are. We're celebrating the fourth year of proof that dreams can come true. Frankly speaking, with Tyra G is one of my most priceless dreams. I thank God for every remembrance of you, your gifts, your ideas, your presence, your encouragement. I can't do this show without you. Thank you so much. Today's show is going to focus on the greatest service one can offer. That is to give the best of who we are. It happens as a process, not an event. There are steps that go back and forth and up and down. There's time, sometimes, you need to see someone else doing something that resonates with you. And then you say yes, and off you go. Today we have that kind of story, one you will want to hear beyond the words. You will want to listen with your heart. Ultimately, it's a story about love. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we are webcast worldwide on the Internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Should you miss us, no worries. You can catch our archive podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast just by keying in Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Podcast. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, that's easy. Email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today I want to create a common thought space by sharing some thoughts I wrote several years ago while sitting in the sitting room of my soul, meditating. It embodies a challenge to all women, women who love service opportunities or women who understand they have an obligation to be a living legacy. I entitled it, The Job is Yours If You Want It. Let me rephrase that. The job is yours whether you want it or not. Little girls learn a lot from the women they grow up around, whether they are related or not. Older women are like midwives who assisted the birth of a young woman. It is not just what they do, it is who they are and how they demonstrate who they are that provides young women with womanhood training. Young women and girls learn about themselves and what it means to be a woman by watching older women in their lives. They watch the how and the what. They watch 
what they wear and how they carry themselves and how they treat themselves and each other. Whether they realize it or not, whether they intend to or not, older women, women, the womanhood midwives, teach younger women what to, do, what to expect out of life. Some things are taught overtly, but the most important lessons are taught covertly. The words and actions of older women teach younger women whether to expect life to be peaceful or stressful, hard or easy, honorable or dishonorable. Only a woman can teach another woman what it really means to be a woman. Sunday after church, one of our teenage girls ran up with a hungry hug for me. She rocked me and said, Oh, Miss Tyra, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. As I returned the hug, I felt an enormous responsibility overtake me. I had no idea what made her say that. Then I remembered, young women watch older women. I considered her eyes for a few long seconds. It was time for me to tell her things that her mirror could not show her. As I continued to hug her, the following words fill my spirit. I said, Beloved, thank you so much for the wonderful compliment. But did you know God made you a designer's original? There is none other like you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. No one can do what God has designed you to do like you will do it. You are more beautiful than you think, more worthy than you know, and more loved than you will ever imagine. She was quiet as her arms slowly fell to her side. I had my hands on her shoulders now, and I continued to look in her eyes. I said, I can help you get to know her if you like. She shyly smiled at me then and said, I think I might like that. We hugged the promise we had just made to each other. My guest today has accepted the job opening as well. She is well qualified. She understands it takes a village. She understands it takes patience. She understands it takes resources. She understands it's a process. And she understands it takes faith. I want you to welcome to the table Miss Ms. Marissa Terrell Esquire, who will add her personal introduction to the Frankly Speaking Human Library. She will help you know her why, why she does, what she does, how she does. Marissa, the mic is now yours. Thanks, Tyra. It is really a pleasure to be with you today. I'm super excited about our discussion, uh, and, and it's, just, it's, just been, it's just been a joy speaking with you. Thank you so much. I know you got a, a lot of reasons to be happy about sharing with our audience today. Why don't, why don't you give us some history? Who are you, girl? Right. Well, <laughs> I'm a native Washingtonian, and you know, typically Washingtonians always start when you ask them that question with what we do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How we respond. So I'll start in the traditional D.C. way okay. of what I do first. So I'm basically a trademark lawyer. I've been practicing for over 20 years. 
I've had the pleasure of being able to work in government, in private practice. I've worked in a corporate setting at Lockheed Martin. I have taught law at Howard Law School, and um, I've had an opportunity to work in um, local government when I drafted some legislation to create a fashion commission here. Ooh. So it's like my love, and I, you know, trademarks, if you think about it, it sort of leads straight into fashion, which is my second love. Yes. Because uh, in the fashion industry, trademarks are used, you know, to signify brand um, identity. And so I spent a lot of time researching and writing on that topic. How does how do fashion, how, do, how does the law affect fashion and, and misappropriation and those types of things? And in addition to working um, in the legal space, I'm also executive director of a mentoring program for girls that was founded in 1997 by my mom, Jess yes. Mary Terrell. Yes. And tell us a little bit about her because she makes my heart smile. A teeny-weeny oh. little lady that has a big heart and a big mission and a big presence. It's so true. I mean, you cannot think about my mom without smiling and thinking of, one, her wonderful fashion sense. You never see her without a hat on her head typically something beautifully made by Vanilla Bean um, from Benet Millinery uh, in D.C. Um, but she, um, just a unique individual. You know, um, I, of course, I have a special fondness for her being her middle child. Uh, but uh, Judge Terrell, uh, you know, started off as an educator. So she has that love of, of children. And then she moved into being a prosecutor appointed by President Clinton. And then uh, after that, a, a, a judge, I'm sorry, a prosecutor, and then a judge appointed by President Clinton for uh, the D.C. Superior Court. And then after that, well, while she was a sitting judge, she decided to found this mentoring program for girls, which many people thought was quite crazy at the time because <laughs> she had her hands. But she really basically had a group of women, her friends, and they would meet periodically for tea. Mm-hmm. And when she, she decided to go into the school's system to speak one day and she noticed that the girls were just a little unruly and she thought wait a minute what is going on in the school she hadn't been in the school uh, and so she decided to turn her group of friends who met for tea mm-hmm. into this group of women who could mentor girls under the auspices of tea and that's really how the tea society was formed back in 97. Mm. You know, I'm thinking of a couple of things. One, my mom wore hats. In fact, when my mom first started teaching school, she wore gloves to teach school. She was teaching first graders. But I know in the church, particularly the African-American church, hats are very, very, they're more than a statement. They're more than a head covering. And, And high tea I got to enjoy when I was working for IBM, especially at the Ritz Carlton, what that meant. And how you feel by just in the presence, in the presence of that whole uh, activity, you you are transported in outside of yourself into something very special. So I can see how she would take how she viewed high tea and want to share with these young ladies to aspire to want to be something that to walk into an activity in a space, an environment that made them feel special. So how did she get so you glad. involved? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm so glad that you said that because she she really does describe tea as an like sort of an Alice in Wonderland experience. Yes, that is a way for 
you to be transformed and to sort of and to be in your best behavior. But it's also, if you think about it, um, tea is kind of like the universal way of, of introducing conversations and having two people have a meeting of the minds. You see that in, in African culture, yes. in Indi- Indian culture, um, you know, throughout the United States. So it is really like a universal way. And so I think that's sort of why uh, she embraced it. Um, now, how did she recruit me? Good question. <laughs> yes. I, uh, you know, I get out of law school at Howard and um, I, I decided I was going to clerk for a few years. And while I was clerking for Judge Long in the tax and probate division, my mama says, yeah, you know, I could use some help with this. <laughs> with this. She decided she was like, she was on the bench at the time. And so she said, could you, uh, you know, see if you can help. And so I took on the role as sort of program coordinator. What she wanted me to do was to, to apply for some grants and to try to figure out a way that we could develop some programs that would excite the girls. Yes. A way to introduce life skills training and etiquette, but not bombard them with um, a sense of old world, but something quite modern. So I came in with my fashion, and I was saying <laughs> what I did is I used it as a vehicle to introduce modeling, but it was really life skills. It was sort of like how with Motown, yes. you know how they got all the Diana Ross and the Supremes together. They had Ophelia there who actually taught them, you know, social skills. That's kind of what we did to sort of get them ready for prime time is what we were doing. Uh, and so we had a lot of fun uh, doing uh, fashion camps and theater camps and uh, having uh, etiquette training. Miss Sandy Allen with her Allen Etiquette Institute was a, is a partner and a board member. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how, how I started and how we um, started the program. But because we work with our girls from like the fifth grade through graduation, you constantly had to figure out new ways yes. to introduce the same concepts to them so they wouldn't get bored. And so um, mom in her, with her education background, she came up with a curriculum mm. and we had a five pronged program, uh, emphasis on academics, community service, life skills, international awareness, um, and that really was just a way to make sure that everything had some continuity. How do you, um, one, I'm loving the idea that you have a curriculum because that is like out of school now is kind of modeling in school. So you're, you're like enforcing process and behavior, you know. Um, I, I want to go back to, uh, so you walked into a space where there are a group of what fifth graders fifth through ninth or whatever young women right what was what was your first impression boom there they are and there you are what do you think how did you come together because the young ladies I know particularly those that feel disenfranchised when you walk into their setting and you've got to meet them where they are it's not instantaneous love and respect how did you how did you work that with the fashions Go ahead. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a good question because, um, well, one, I'll tell you, I'm from Southeast. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what that means that um, I have a, a, a real affinity for DC and for uh, our our mores and our and our just unique way of doing things. So I already love that. I, I we we grew up in Southeast. You know, my mom and my dad both, um, you know, kept us really involved in the community. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't or anything like that. It was more of a, I was very curious. And what I saw in the girls, I saw myself. Ah. The same, um, 
the same desire to want to emulate someone, you know, the same curiosity mm-hmm. of trying to remember fifth and sixth grade is sort of that time where you're kind of just um, you, you're sort of, you, you know, you're very close to your, your home environment, but you're starting to kind of experiment with friends yes. and uh, things, you know, starting to tug a little bit to see how far you can go with rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're, getting, you're starting to be able to take the bus by yourself, you know. Um, so I kind of, uh, when I stepped into it, they had been very used to dealing with um, older instructors. And so they really thought I was one of the not their age, but not that much older. I happen to have a very baby face. Yes, you do. <laughs> so you did, do. Mm-hmm. I, I look very young, and so they didn't quite know what to make of me. But because I jumped right in, mm-hmm. you know, we we developed a rapport very easy. Uh, and as I think about it, when you when you hear stories, and now that my, my girls are a lot older now, the original girls that we started with, mm-hmm. and then to hear them talking about, you know, what was going on. Like that, you know, that they were, some of them were in gangs and all this stuff and that we would go pick them up in these neighborhoods and they would be saying, did you know that when you came over that day, this is what was going on. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself. I get it. We were, uh, we were um, protected by the blood, you know, and we, um, we were really fearless and, and really not that our communities are dangerous in and of themselves, but, you know, we have to be able to navigate um, different things just like our do. And so. We just happened to have, um, we just developed a rapport really, really easily. My mom is likewise just like that, can speak to anyone on any mm-hmm, level. Mm-hmm. Or with the parents. And I think that's one of the reasons why we were so successful. We pretty much embraced everybody like family mm-hmm. because that's how we viewed them. And they came over, you know, to our homes and stuff. It was just, it was just a very um, nice, uh, loving environment. And that's when you develop trust, mm-hmm. and that's develop um, respect. And I think that was part of why we were so successful with our with the program. One of the things that, as you were talking, particularly about picking up the girls uh, in gang, many of them, some of them, being members of gangs. And I think you and I chatted that I was principal of a school where all eight hundred people children men boys and girls had been associated with the court system and I remember uh, my first encounter with the girls uh, who threatened my life and then three months later wanted me to adopt them but what I discovered and I'm sure you did as well if you love and you go in respecting and setting expectations they do their best to meet the expectations, which I always find wonderful, you know. The, if you just, they can read, they can read what's in your spirit, you know. Yeah, they can. Mm-hmm. And That's I, very true. You did, uh, I'm thinking of the camps again. All right, so they had modeling and social skills. Oh, fashion camps, theater camps. Now I'm thinking that was probably a good vehicle. What kind of, what kind of response did you get to that? Well, okay, so the the, um, the fashion camps were interesting because what we tried to do was to uh, combine them with career technical skills. So we taught sewing oh. and makeup and nails um, and modeling. Okay, those are the four disciplines, but they all had to take a reading course that my dad taught because he's a reading specialist. 
and they all had to take um, the life skills training classes. So we did etiquette, dining okay. etiquette, all that. Mm-hmm. So that was like a, there was like a hundred kids at a time each summer, and they kind of moved through. Um, like you would get a couple weeks with this discipline, a couple weeks with that discipline, so that everybody by the end was able to um, to say that they have they could decide whether that might be something they might want to do as a career. Now that so that yeah 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 so that now I'm I'm getting a picture. Okay, so what mm-hmm. we're talking about is summer camps. Okay. Now, when right. you started out, did you have 100 kids or was it word of mouth after the first or second experience that the camps blew up in terms of people wanting to be a part? Right. Good question. Okay. So it started out really with about 20 girls. Mm-hmm. We, we worked specifically with PR Harris um, School, um, golly. Uh, Walker Jones Elementary School. We we picked up our first girls from there. We had the principals help us select some girls who might be just teetering a little bit, who might need a little push. Yes. Uh, who they thought could be program. So um, we had basically three different programs. We had one a Saturday program that met for two hours every Saturday. Oh, okay. So throughout the year. Throughout the year. Throughout throughout the year, okay. um, except for the summer. Um, except for the summer, we didn't meet in the summer. Then they had the option to join the camps. Okay. But we, so those girls were the, our first. It was the first cohort, and um, they're the ones that kind of were, where we developed the the five prong curriculum. Then we also had they were called Teaching Through T. That was the name of that program. Teaching Through T. Okay. And we had a stars program, which was after school, mm-hmm. different group of girls, two hours after. And then we had the summer camps. So basically, reinforcing the same skills. Sometimes we had girls that we only met for during summer camp and never really saw again. Mm-hmm. And then we had our girls that we saw every Saturday for years and years and years until they graduated. We had that group. So it was um, what we can say because we had a, we had thank goodness a wonderful evaluator for our program, Dr. Mackey Brooke Mackey. Mm-hmm. Um, we can really show like data that suggests that these types of programs do work. Mm. And mm-hmm. George, Georgetown recently did an analysis of girls' programs, trying to figure out why uh, or what types of programs to really help uh, affect girls and why they're being incarcerated at such a higher rate. Yes, yes. That girls are being as uh, are entering into the juvenile justice system. Like they are the fastest growing population entering the juvenile justice system, black girls. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Um, there's several reasons, and we can get into that later. But the, the research shows that life skills programs, programs that focus on um, trying to get them to see things differently, to be critical thinkers, and to uh, try to address the trauma that they've experienced, mm-hmm. are the types of to get them on the right track. The other thing we know is that once you reach a girl and you get her turned around, she can turn her whole family. That's right. That's, that's right. Mm-hmm. For women. So what, that's what happened with us. We would bring in these 20 girls and then they would say, you know what? My cousin needs this program, Miss Marissa. And they would bring their cousin. You know what? My sister, my baby sister needs this program. You know, and they would be <laughs> so well because of their siblings and their cousins and their friends. Mm-hmm. That's how we grew. Well, I, I want you, you said we'd talk about it later, but I want, I think it's important for us to help the audience 
see these girls, okay, see who they are. And you said, you know, these girls are have a higher rate of entry into the criminal justice system. Let's go through what are some of the reasons that that's happening? Well, the main reason is this concept of adultification. And that, that comes from a 2017 study by Georgetown Law Center on Poverty and Inequality. Uh-huh. It was called Girls Interrupted. And basically they were saying that, unfortunately, black girls are just not given the benefit of the doubt like other children are. They are considered adults, even though they are children. And so they're not given second chances as often. And this results in, in the school system that can, they can represent 16% of the girls in school, but then they represent 42% of the girls who receive punishments in school. So ah, real- let's say that again. That's, that, that is impactful. They might be, in terms of population, 16%, but in terms of punishment, mm-hmm. receive 42% of the punishment occasions, right? That's right. So like 42% of the girls, they are 40, 42% of the girls expelled uh, with or without educational services. So they're more likely to be expelled than anyone else. Um, they're more likely to be suspended. Mm-hmm. Um, 30 of them um, will be referred to law enforcement over other children. And also 34% um, of, of the girls arrested on campus. So this just goes to show you that even though there are smaller populations in schools, they are suffering from being punished more severely and more often than other children. And why is that? Because for some reason, school officials have a tendency to view their um, demeanor as ma- rendering them like adults, like they understand consequences, and, and they take them out of the realm of children where they're being um, treated with compassion, and mm-hmm. they're treated with, well, you should better. And so that is really part of the problem. The, the other problem that really affects our girls is that typically they're being raised by distracted guardians. That's what I and, wanted to get to because that was my mm-hmm. experience in terms of the girls at the school I was re- referencing earlier. Yes, absolutely. And I found that my girls had models that made them respond like adults. You know, they projected that image, which may have something to do with the transaction of being treated that way. But I don't know that. I don't have that data. But uh, I think, yeah, I think it has a lot to do with the, the fact that they're sometimes their guardians are distracted, that they have to take on more responsibility at home. Yes, and so that that sort of translates sometimes in them um, projecting and a, a sort of a, a sense of I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm in control. Uh, and that's not, nece- you know, that's not necessarily the case. They're still fifth and sixth graders. They're still seventh, eighth, ninth graders. So um, this idea of um, distracted parents, though, is really interesting because I don't want to, you know, I like calling it distraction because it's not that the parents don't want to be available or that the guardian's grandmother, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just that there's sometimes it's incarceration, there's poverty, mm-hmm. mental illness, um, physical illness. These are stressors that put um, stress on the parents so they can't be as focused as maybe they might want to. And so that's where we step in. Yes. We want to sort of be, like you mentioned in the beginning with your intro, we are the village. Yes. And so we want to step into the gap not to replace parental support, but to augment it and to say that um, here are some resources that maybe can benefit. And oh, by the way, 
while we're helping out this child, your child, we have some programs for you too. That's so what I was going to ask. I, I hate to interrupt you because I don't know why my mind's right on the track with you. The, when you start talking about evaluation, that was my next question. But when mm -hmm. my question now is, you make the intervention, you're successful, and I was getting ready to say, how do the parents receive you? Because sometimes uh, parents can feel they're less than and unable to sustain what you're trying to do. And other times they just don't have the time or the energy left over. But what you're telling me now is, hey, we considered all that. We've got programs for them as well. Right, because we noticed with our first cohort that, you know, as a young, young lady is in our program, she does begin to change. Her, um, her goals begin to shift and you start to see a little a difference in, at home. And so a parent, of course, or a guardian is going to notice that right away. Some embrace it, but others feel like they're, they're sort of losing a grip on, you know, on their child sometimes. Sometimes some of them turn into saboteurs, sometimes not, you know, maybe intending, but then all of a sudden she's not available to go to, mm -hmm. on the field trip. Or, mm -hmm. or, you know, she's got a baby or, you know, younger siblings or whatever. And so we we discovered that one way to address that is to make make a program so that the parents feel that there is no unequal de unequal development here. We want you, the parent guardian, to move in the same direction. So while the child is in our program, the parents have an opportunity to do financial literacy. You know, they do other workshops that they work on. They just kind of, they, sometimes they just commune with the other parents thinking and brainstorming on what, what things that they need and mm -hmm. we can help them with housing issues or whatever and we found that to be now the parents want to come mm -hmm. and they want to, to participate and that was really really helpful I think that that will always be part of our program I'm I'm recommending it um, because they have to be they have to have a door into the village they have to feel the love of the village as well and I mean right. whatever insecurities they may have, as you listed before, whether it's mental illness or poverty, which is mostly the case, uh, joblessness. And sometimes we're dealing with children of families who are homeless from time to time. So uh, I think for me, I'm hearing the biggest challenge for the families is going to be your program versus survival. They may want very much to be a part of your program, and they are just trying to keep it all together you know with the rest of the family so um and i love the fact that you said financial literacy because that is a big black hole when it comes to uh some adults that are trying to make it and haven't had the exposure experience right and uh, so it, you know it as you can see um any type of mentoring program um, that that I feel like that is successful is one that has that it, it sort of morphs and changes based on the needs of, of, of the program members. So in our case, transportation was always a big deal so that we had to step in and provide that, making sure that we provided like childcare, you know, so that the young lady did not have to miss out on things because she has to watch younger siblings, you know, so, so it is a, Part of, I think, um, 
the program really does, you really have to pay attention to try to, to, to fill in the gap. But it's also quite time intensive because you might have started out thinking you were just going to do a Saturday program. Yeah. And that's not exactly what it turns out to. So the mentoring component was really key. We, we would match the girls with a mentor that would help um, kind of fill in the gap because there's no way we could be everywhere at once. We wanted a mentor to be available in case the, the, the child needed to to reach out and talk to someone in real time. So uh, that was the program. So now it's, it's sort of morphed a bit. So COVID hit and we decided that we needed to pivot. Uh, we, we figured that um, we needed to figure out a way to reach more girls. And that's when we started thinking digital. We started ah, thinking yeah, we, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. Yes. Try to create something virtual, not abandoning our, one, our, our live-based program, but needing a companion so that if a girl is not able to attend for whatever reason, a program, she can tune into the app and see what we're up to. She can also have access to a library of resources um, to help her make better decisions. Because really, we really want every girl who's aged to 14 to 18, who's been um, subjected to trauma or just violence, any type of criminalization or poverty, we want them to have access to a software that's going to help them develop coping strategies. So how, I mean, before, you, I'm sorry, I interrupted <laughs> again. In terms of the software, how are you delivering it? Do they all have devices, PCs, et cetera, uh, available phones, um, available to them to receive your programming online? Right. So I, at this point, we are actually building the demo, you know, fi- finalizing the, de- the demo and then, um, well, the demo finalized, really. We we're really trying to build the library. The next step is then to figure out if we can develop some partnerships with some of our, um, our friends in the technology space, our phone providers, Verizon, Google, et cetera, to try to see if we can get phones for girls who don't have them. Mm-hmm. Or, but it's also going to be a web-based, too. So if you don't have a phone, you can still get access to us on the web. Okay. I'm taking notes. That's why I'm hesitating a bit because I'm just fascinated. I'm totally fascinated. Um, Two things. I'm going back again, um, talking about the mentoring program and what you're providing as uh, uh, support for the young young women, child care and transportation. My next question is, who are the people helping you do all of this? I've heard you use the pronoun we. Talk to our audience about the kind of people that you've got interested, the kind of support on your committee, but who are the people that are coming every Saturday and and, uh, delivering the camp uh, uh, products that you offer? Who are they? Where did you get them? Well, mainly they were volunteers. Um, we, you know, have a, a pretty good Rolodex of, um, of professional women who wanted to give back. And so we really reached out to them. We were successful in getting a number of grants to fund um, staff. Uh, but the only, we sort of, we, we, when COVID hit, we sort of, um, we, we paused and we didn't take in any more girls and we use it as a, as a time to kind of reevaluate and so during this block of time, like this last year and a half, we have kind of stepped back and, and used it as a way to reflect on what we've done, to find all of our alumni. 
we are now evaluating, you know, speaking with them to make sure that we can see like what was successful, what was not, if there's anything we need to improve, and we're wanting to relaunch. Okay. Um, and relaunch. With a virtual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So at this point, present time, we don't have any programs that are that are actually running. We will be starting our next program in the fall. Okay. Um, with um, 20 new girls, and they are going to be to be the ones that are going to help us develop. The, some of the great content, the videos and the PSAs and the and anecdotal information that will be included in the app. And then also all of the wonderful experts that will be coming to speak to the girls, they will be recorded and they will be in the app. So the goal is to have 365 days of programming that we will, we will be creating this year mm. so that we um, are ready to uh, partner back with having um live programs all over the city and all over the nation through a franchising process that mm-hmm. we will be able to do it and have this curriculum be a way to keep everybody on track. So every fifth grader will be ha- will have access to this curriculum. You know, every um, ninth grade, you know what I mean? So that's, we, our goal is to really try to build it um, in a way that when we relaunch it, it'll be a tool that can be used in line with the live program. So I'm also now hearing, maybe I hope correctly, <clears throat> excuse me, that you're going to do age-specific kind, specific kind of activities that you would push out. Like for the ninth right. graders, there may be some different components than the fifth graders, but it would go to all ninth graders, available to all ninth graders and available to all fifth graders, something like that. Something like that. We we I we like to start with the fifth grade. I have to say because fifth and sixth graders are just so um, ready, and they're like blank slates almost. They're ready to take you know to, to soak up any any new information. Yeah. However, we're thinking that the girls that we're going to be picking up in the fall are ninth and tenth graders. Okay. And we believe it's a good grade to be able to build the curriculum because they still typically have siblings and cousins who are younger so they still really sort of understand that Mm -hmm. but they're also pushing forward because they want to be grown so badly (laughs) that they are thinking about bigger issues and so we feel like that that's going to be a good way so we're going to start this um i guess our the curriculum will be for ninth ninth through 12th grade Mm -hmm. and we'll be starting with the ninth grade to start yeah i'm excited i'm excited now the other thing you mentioned principals do you collaborate with the counselors as well in terms of identification or connecting or how do you make that work once you enter a school well typically we start with the principal and then they tend to reach deeper into their um school structure Mm -hmm. to find the guidance who know specifically the children that are that could use some support and so we let them, we sort of, we're hands off on the, on that process. We let them in the original program, we let them select the girls okay. and this new iteration, it'll be open to anybody. And we'll be actually going to the schools to market the product so that they can have an opportunity, you know, so that any, any girl, you know, who has access to a device uh, would be able to download it. And if they don't have a device, they can contact us, contact us. And we're hoping that we'll, we will be able to give them a device. That's our goal. Now, I'm listening to an idea, a dream, a mission, a goal. And uh, I see where it started. (coughs) Please forgive me. 
I see where it started. How do you manage your life? <coughs> Please. You talk to me until I get this together. Oh, sure. <laughs> so I, it is It is a little, <laughs> I mean, I'm still working full time. So uh, I do have a committee of, of women. There's about six of us who have been working on developing the business plan for this concept. And then each one of them have their own skill set. So we have a marketer, an accountant, a software developer, um, you know, and, and so these women have been really helpful in trying to kind of flesh out what exactly it is that we are wanting to do. It took us like, you know, a year to get the concept down because you want to sort of be everywhere at once, um, but it's not possible. So we've now narrowed it, our focus to focus on life skills um, for the first curriculum set. And um, I think that's a, a good approach. So basically my days are, you know, I'm working uh, and then in the evenings I'm, I'm sort of working on this. We have identified a school where we're going to um, pilot this project that we will be working with in the fall. We are applying for grants now. We are seeking sponsorship now. And we're trying to um, get the dem demo software to a point where it's on our website so that anyone who wants to fund, they can get a password so that they can see it and, and, and be able to play with it to understand, um, you know, what it is that we're talking about. And I think what we have to remember, now I'm going to have an interesting voice for the rest of the program. <clears throat> what we have to remember is we're dealing with the next generations. We're dealing with our future. You're building a living legacy. And programs like yours need to be replicated uh, everywhere where we have young women that are exposed young women that are challenged, young women that we want to keep from falling into uh, human trafficking, falling into opioids, falling into early pregnancy. These, this, is, this is why I'm so excited about the program because this is an intervention that makes sense. This is an intervention that you can grow and collaborate. And I hear collaboration now with the schools I hear you collaborate with your volunteers. I love the fact that you have an army of professional women. Are they all uh, professional women of color, uh, Marissa? That's not a requirement. We've had all types of women um, from all types of backgrounds who have been uh, interested in wanting to help. It, really what we're looking for are people who want to develop time. We, and, and we say that with our professional women, we like to put them in t tag team them, like have two with one girl because we know schedules are so crazy right now. People have their own families and, and things do pop up. We just don't want to leave the girls where they have no one to turn to. So we, we understand that and we try to, um, to, to, to solve that problem in advance <laughs> by having more than one mentor assigned. We, what we are trying to do, and just what you said, is um, we want to build up the resiliency of our girls to yes. be able to withstand some of this pressure yes. that they're facing. We've got to, and as, as you said, it's like a movement because just like there are other forces that are negative, they're using all types of seductive music and yes. visuals. Yes. Just. Um, alliteration, rhyming, just everything looks so fun and bright and technicolor. We want to uh, have the same type of visuals and programming 
that will also be exciting for them so that they will have a reason to want to, to look at this. We just don't, we want them, our girls, really to just have an, an option. That's what because I was, right that's now, what I was thinking. They, they, right now, all they have is what you described. But if you can come up with excitement and energy, everybody's not going to leave what is and what is unhealthy. But some people will because it exists. So, um, right. and I, I love the fact that you have an evaluation component because you can make correction. Well, that worked. This didn't work as well. Well, maybe we ought to do this this way next time. And then having, I love it because fifth and sixth graders are wonderful. They, you know, the hormones aren't going crazy yet, <laughs> but <laughs> yet, but their energy levels is amazing. Their imaginations are amazing and they all want to belong. And what I hear your program doing most of all is teaching these girls that they are worthy. They have a right to be here. They have a right to be successful. They have a right to, and many of them don't understand that they are born with skills. They have gifts inside of them that are getting suppressed. So I hear your program unlocking the doors and say, guess what? You can do this. And then giving them an opportunity to discover who they are. I'm, I'm just, as I said 40 times already, I'm excited. But what I thought about is, can you, Marissa, think about one story or one case where you, you can tell it to us and show us the impact of the program that you've had so far? Can you think about one? Yeah, I can. Um, I recently spoke with, I guess it was a couple of months ago, one of our girls. Um, she is now... Um, I just grown. She's in her 20s now. Uh-huh. She's up to North Carolina. And she was on, on a call with me, and we were sort of talking about uh, the impact of the program. And what she was telling me was that when she joined, she didn't want to wear hats and gloves. She wasn't interested in doing any of that kind of stuff. She she was she was one of the kids who was selected by her principal, and they, they thought that it would be really helpful for her to be in a program, to have some other options and other um, stimuli. So she um, came, and what she said was that she happened to be in a gang at the time. We didn't know that. But she said one of the things that broke that bond with her other girlfriends in in this group Uh was that every Saturday we would be at her house to pick her up, to take her to the opera. We would go to the embassies. We would go. We would have different lectures, people come in and talk about different careers and makeup and, and defense, computer techs. And these are all black women or people of color or just women. And so she was saying that she was so fascinated that she, she stopped hanging out with her group or her crew or whatever because this was something that was different. So that's how we know we cannot just have a virtual program. We yeah. actually need a safe for them to go yes, so that yes. they can see in real time women that look just like them yes, who've had similar hardships, who are coming from similar environments, but who are successful. And guess what? They're not Beyonce. How you know about I mean? that? Not, they're not Megan Thee Stallion. There are women all over the world who are taking care of their families and doing it in a non-criminal way. 
So what we're trying to show them is what regular mainstream media is not showing them, that you can do this without dancing in a club. You can take care of your children, you know, without, um, you know, subjecting yourself to to treatment that's not going to be helpful because you can set yourself up for success yourself. Exactly. And a cadre of people who are supporting you. So that's what we are. So that was a really great story. There's there's, um, another young girl who, you know, she went to college because many times, you know, our students from D.C., they'll get into colleges, but they'll come right back home because they feel like that they cannot, they don't feel comfortable in these new environments. So we wanted to really make sure that our girls were exposed to all these things. They went camping and they went, you know, to the, to, you know, the White House egg roll or they, you know, like they went outside of their neighborhood. They could say, I went to France because I was at the embassy. You know, like they they could um, feel that they had had a world view so that when they get to these places. So this young girl, she gets to college. And when she gets there, her uh, advisor and her dorm advisor were so impressed with her social skills that they wanted her to create a program to teach her her mates in her dorm the skills that she had look at that (laughs) look at that work yeah and Mm -hmm. the thing about it is um doing this in washington dc our nation's capital and we think about the museum structure you know you don't have to pay a thousand dollars to go here or there and you can learn so much and the opera and then for young people you can get passes so you can explode their experiences and their universe and ways that they didn't even, most people that we're, most young women we're talking about, you and I are talking about now, don't leave their neighborhood, the early, right. pop, you know? So they don't know that those things exist and what they're receiving via social media or whatever streaming device they're, they're hooked into, it's not exposing that. So I applaud I applaud what you're offering, and I really applaud that you are presenting ordinary women doing extraordinary things. And uh, they don't have to twerk to get attention. They just have to be. You know what I'm saying? They, They just have to be present and be who they are and let what they have to offer shine through. So... I, wow. Okay, I've got your vision. I know where you're going. Uh, you're going to grow the app. You're going to grow the program. Uh, you're going to expose other places. You're going to grow the exposure of the program. That's, that's the good part. But what I really like is that you're involving the young ladies in the development of the program so they can say, I did that. And that's, yes, that's that's the cool part, right? That is really cool. And I, I we didn't spend a lot of time talking about that, but I'll just say that part of the group that's going to start in the fall, we want them to have the exposure, but then we want them to synthesize what they've learned uh-huh. to explain to peers. And they're going to be doing that through like video so that they can t- say, okay, so why is it that you have to go to school? Let me explain it to you. you know, yes. Like, why is it that you shouldn't smoke weed, um, you know, in front of, like, before you go to school? Let me explain what the, what the detriment and what the D.C. law is, you know, so that they are clear 
yes. on um, cause and effect. You yes. know, but it's different coming from your peer versus from your mentor or from your teacher or from your mom. So we're hoping that this approach um, will be helpful. I mean, we'll also still have experts speaking and counselors yeah. available um, who will have videos. So if you want to, but it's really about um, getting them to talk to themselves and begin to, to understand that they have agency. They're not just a little tumbleweed blowing it down the street. They can make decisions on, you know, whether they're going to go to school, whether they're going to pay attention, whether they're going to reach out for help if they, if there's a problem, but they have to know where the resources are. And that's what we hope to teach. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hating to have to say, Marissa, you got to read your letter now. Uh, <laughs> because this, we're just getting on a roll. So I guess what I'm also saying is you'll be back, right? You'll be back oh, as yes. the the program progresses. And for all we know, we're going to have some of these young women on our show so they can have a podcast experience that they can share. Um, okay, girl, are you ready to share your I'm letter? ready to read. Yes. Okay. Now is the time. Okay. Darling Marisa, I can just imagine what you're doing right now. You are probably in your pink bedroom with a twin canopy bed, reading one of the five books you just hand-selected from MLK Library. Let me guess, you're probably reading a Nancy Drew mystery. Good girl. Your love of reading and your fondness for fashion and the fashion section of the library will come in handy as you seek out a unique legal career. First, I want to tell you that you must stop worrying so much. God is faithful and he delights in giving all of us the desires of our hearts. You already have all that you need. You have access to the spirit that resides within you. Therefore, you have capacity to do anything. You have judgment to do only the things that are edifying, you have love and charity. You have wisdom to know the right path and the courage to stay the course. And you have the ability to receive and understand God's word and the discernment to recognize truth. So just relax and take all of your weighty decisions to God and he will answer. Remember that resting is an act of faith. So please do not take matters into your own hands. <laughs> You must learn patience to wait for godly direction before taking action. And if you learn this rule, you will be golden. I know for a fact that your path will not be a typical one, but you will enjoy an interesting, joy-filled journey that will enable you to fulfill your wildest dreams. So continue to dream even bigger. Your imagination is a wonderful gift, so never lose it. It will enable you to find beauty in the mendacity of life. Uh, and this ability to see the world through rose-colored glasses will help you soar even when things appear bleak. Keep chronicling your adventures in your journals. They will help you to keep a record of lessons learned and victories achieved. And also remember, it takes practice to achieve greatness in any field, so do not give up. And finally, your name is beautiful. Continue to correct the mispronunciations. You should reclaim your original name. I love you. You are a star. Onward and upward, darling. Well, <laughs> I would like to receive that letter. <laughs> you, Girl, I wish I had that letter. <laughs> you know what? 
many people say, oh, Ty, I don't feel like writing a letter. I don't know whether I'm comfortable. And then at the end, everybody, you know, that was kind of cool. And I'm going like, yeah, that's because you are kind of cool. But I have some words here I want to share as we close out from a song that JoJo wrote uh, about young people and uh, the lyrics, some of the lyrics. You're beautiful, but you don't know. Can't see what's there inside your soul. Always feeling like you're not good enough. You wish you could be someone else. Sometimes you just can't see yourself. But I can see just who you are. You're exceptional the way you are. Don't need to change for nobody. You're incredible. Anyone can see that. When will you believe that? You are nothing but exceptional. What I want to say to all our listeners, you too are exceptional. Your seat at the table is guaranteed. Your job while we're apart is to understand that you are awesome. You are amazing just as you are. You are stronger than you feel, smarter than you know. You are more loved than you can ever imagine. I'll look forward till next time, but I need you to promise me you're going to treat yourself like someone you love. Because I love you. Until then, this is Tyra G.